Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague, Zach Rosenblatt, as the Giants now in full swing with training camp at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford. And Zach, we touched on all of the issues surrounding COVID-19 and the uniqueness of this season last week, but this week... There's actually some football to talk about. There are some moves that have been made, and, and these guys getting back on the field is certainly noteworthy as we cross into August of 2020. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. You know, one of the storylines that media has probably talked about more than anybody, honestly, is that, you know, Joe Judge didn't have a chance to stand in front of his team or to coach his team on the practice field in any way uh, for eight months of the year. And he finally got to do that this week because they have, I mean, it's not a real practice, but it's a walkthrough. And I believe he was able to talk to the team at MetLife Stadium because they have a lot more space there. And I I think in the area where it might've had it, where his intro press conference was, I think he might've talked to them at some point. And, you know, that's that's a major step forward for a very new coach who's trying to implement a new culture, new schemes on both sides of the ball. And, you know, it's, it's not significant in terms of them becoming a better football team by any stretch, but th- this, was, this is a step forward for kind of everybody because there's actually like he's seeing them with his own two eyes now. Yeah, and beyond that, if you think back to last year and kind of how things really unwound toward the end of the season, one of the biggest complaints from analysts and certainly one of the biggest gripes from general manager Dave Gettleman on down throughout the front office was Pat Shermer and his coaching staff's inability to stress fundamentals and get these guys to improve week over week over week. And now you actually have Judge and a new coaching staff, two new coordinators on the field with these guys, albeit in a limited capacity right now because it's just walkthroughs. But in a couple weeks here, these guys are going to be getting into the full swing of things with pads on and gearing towards what we hope is a September kickoff. We're going to talk about all that and certainly touch on a busy weekend worth of roster moves. But before we get to that, a little bit of housekeeping. If you like what you hear on the podcast, we would absolutely love if you would subscribe. Go to the Apple Podcast Store, uh, search for Talk is Cheap. We're right there. Leave us those five-star reviews. Even if you want to rip me or criticize Zach, give us the five stars and then rip us because the five stars actually help us grow the show. And make sure you follow Zach on Twitter at Zach Blatt and I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. So uh, Zach, now that these walkthroughs are beginning and now that we're getting the Giants back on the field together, uh, what do you think is the biggest thing that Joe Judge is going to need to see from this team right out of the shoot? 
I, I think, I mean, this this is a pretty cookie-cutter answer, but he needs to see that they're all in shape. You know, these guys have been off on their own for months, and I think I've talked to a lot of trainers this offseason. I know you've talked to a lot of people around the league. They're, the general consensus is, like, this was going to be the most out of shape that uh, players coming back for, uh, from the summer have ever been. And so Judge is going to really find out, like, the, the cliche football thing I've heard a lot is you're going to find out who really loves football because if, if you have to do it away from the facility on your own, uh, you know, that's really like you really have to commit to it as opposed to like a coach telling you what to do. And Judge really couldn't do that. So, I mean, we're not going to be able to see this until we get out there. But, you know, what one thing you're going to find out is guys are going to maybe not win or lose jobs right now based on this, but they're going to be really behind the eight ball if they didn't put in the work this offseason. And, and beyond that, like beyond that general point, I think, you know, Daniel Jones is always going to be the number one topic and how he's able to finally – you know, be in the team setting and maybe get some throws in with his receivers and, and start to build that chemistry in person where, you know, they've had some workouts and I'm sure he's done his job away from the building, but it's it's way different when they're actually there and when the offensive linemen are blocking in front of them and when they can actually get to doing all that stuff. Like how Daniel Jones carries himself is kind of the biggest storyline. Oh, no doubt about it. And it's one thing to get Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard and Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram and these guys together and throwing it at high school fields or college fields in, in Raleigh-Durham or up here in New Jersey. Uh, it's a whole new animal to get on the field and running the route concepts in Jason Garrett's offense, getting the feedback from QB coach Jerry Shublinski, getting the feedback from Garrett and really putting this new offense and this new scheme into place. And, and certainly the offensive line in front of him is going to look a lot different. And to your first point, about guys being in football shape. I wrote about this on Wednesday after we spoke to Joe Judge on a Zoom call. You know, Nick Gates is one of these guys who's going to get a lot of work, and the Giants better hope that after signing him to a two-year extension this weekend that he's reported to MetLife Stadium in football shape because Judge has talked all offseason ever since his introductory press conference and ever since our first conversations with him leading up to the draft and at the combine and all of those different times about the importance of training his tackles at both right tackle and left tackle. Gates also figures in at the starting center job. And what really makes Nick Gates' situation interesting is, you know, just after we recorded this podcast last week, and certainly we were kind of a victim of poor timing with this, Nate Solder opted out. And that's going to send a ripple effect throughout the rest of the offensive line. But the, the real benefactor of that decision is Gates. Because if you look at this offensive line, Zach, Andrew Thomas now certainly appears to be cemented as your starting left tackle. And then you have arguably your highest graded offensive lineman from a year ago competing at right tackle with Nick Gates but there's a chance he's going to be working at three different positions this summer so Gates better have showed up ready to play you know Gates is uh, interesting because you know he's a guy that not many people outside of East Rutherford really know uh, who he is really like he's pretty unknown outside of people who know who what's going on with the Giants at the same time he's arguably one of their most important players as you head to the start of the season they, they clearly believe in him as a starter and if he's a starter at center or right tackle which I think we both agree he will be a starter at one of them uh, I I if I'm predicting right now maybe I'd say right tackle but that it's just like really up in the air and judge kind of said he's going to be practicing at both spots but you know if he's playing center that's a very important position obviously just for communication we talked about this last week if he's playing right tackle you know if this offensive line is going to be better he has to be better than Mike Remmers was last year at the very basis if he's not better than how that right side of the offensive line was then if and Andrew Thomas is you know going through his rookie lumps, you know then Daniel Jones is not going to have as much time as he needs. So I, Nick Nick Gates is like a, a really important player this year, and the Giants kind of showed how they value him too. With and which would make it a smart move in a guy that they probably view could have a breakout year this year and paying him before he does that. 
Yeah, it's certainly a forward-thinking move on their part, and, and one of the few forward-thinking moves that I think Dave Gettleman has made since he's become general manager here. Um, but you look at that contract, and when he put pen to paper on the two-year deal on Saturday, I, I just started asking around to some of my agent friends and, and people who you know deal with contracts and those sort of things, and the overwhelming consensus was that's not center money. When you look at the $6.8 million base salary, which is what he can you know hit reaching incentives over the next two years, that's right tackle money. And, and the Giants this offseason, despite knowing that Mike Remmers was a Band-Aid and once February rolled around, some of the uncertainties surrounding uh, this season in terms of Nate Solder opting out, which became a reality last week, they didn't really go out and break the bank on a right tackle. Yes, they took Andrew Thomas in the draft, who you know many evaluators and GMs that I spoke to and executives had Andrew Thomas as the number one tackle prospect, but Matt Pert is a developmental prospect who they took in round three. Cam Fleming is a guy who's a bit of a veteran journeyman and really for the most part is here because of his familiarity with Mark Colombo, the offensive line coach. But Zach, you look at the money they gave Gates, that's right tackle money. And there's a chance that this offensive line without Nate Solder, who figured to be your starting tackle at either side, might actually be upgraded at both spots if Thomas comes in and hits the ground running and if Gates, in fact, lines up at right tackle and plays at a reasonably high level as he did a year ago. You know, yeah, I mean, Gates and Thomas are kind of two of the biggest X factors on this offense because you have a lot of pretty known commodities elsewhere. I mean, Daniel Jones is in a known commodity, but you know he has the talent. And if he can have some time, he doesn't turn the ball over or whatever. You know who Saquon is. You know who these receivers are. You know Evan Ingram, if healthy, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Andrew Thomas needs to be ready to play right away. And Nick Gates needs to be ready to be a full-time starter. And, you know, Andrew Thomas, I know you mentioned you, you talked to a lot of people about him. And there seems to be a lot of confidence in his ability to play well right away and become a pro bowler. How quickly that happens is going to be the question. There's been some offensive linemen that come in the NFL and are stars right away. And there are others where it takes a few years. You know, the Eagles with Andre Dillard, he, he wasn't ready to play last year. And they might not be ready to play him this year. For all I know, they brought Jason Peters back. And so, you're, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how Andrew Thomas handles this pressure. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I spoke to a, a pro personnel director for an AFC team earlier this week. And you know, he said that when he watches Thomas, he thinks he can be somewhere between the 15th to 21st best left tackle in the league right away. So, you know, that, that's some pretty lofty expectations. And you look at pro football focus, they listed Thomas as the 22nd offensive tackle in the NFL. This is for a guy who's never taken a snap in the National Football League, right, Zach? But he's going up against some of the premier pass rushers in the country in the SEC coming off a really strong junior season. And I spoke to an executive who, uh, you know, deals with scouting the draft every year uh, for an NFC team and he said quote when I watch Andrew Thomas I see a guy who can be a really good player not quite a Hall of Famer but a perennial Pro Bowl player and if that's who he turns into the Giants should be pretty happy with that pick and he compared him to Walter Jones or Joe Staley if Thomas commits to doing the quote-unquote BS that the elite ones need to do but might not necessarily want to do to reach that level yeah you know it's just they really need Andrew Thomas to pan out. Like that's that's the reality of us. You know, we talked about Nate, them losing Nate Solder. Another reality is that Nate Solder was quite bad last year. You'd prefer to have as many veteran guys on your roster as you can, and they have to pay him and all that stuff. And we understand why he opted out, whatever. But um, you know, they need Andrew Thomas at minimum to be better than Nate Solder. And if he can't do that, then they're going to be a lot of trouble. And the only reason they had to draft him really is because the Nate Solder signing did not pan out. They wouldn't have been under as much pressure to invest in the offensive line if that worked out. 
No, and certainly best in Nate Solder for making the decision that he thought was right for his family. Obviously, as a testicular cancer survivor himself and his young son going through um, cancer treatments the last several years, I don't think anybody's going to begrudge Nate Solder. And, and you kind of have to wonder how much his personal situation was weighing on his mind last year because you said it. He had 56 pressures and 11 sacks. Th th that's not the type of production you would expect from a guy who was your big ticket free agent signing the previous offseason. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, how, what what is your personal level of confidence in Andrew Thomas uh, playing how they need him to this year? Yeah, I think that he's going to anchor the line. I really do. I mean, I think that when you look at guys that are taken in the first five or six picks versus guys who are taken later in the draft or even later in the first round, if you're going to be an offensive tackle and go in the top 10, you have to be an elite level prospect, right? And everybody that I talk to mentions the fact that he has great footwork, great upper body strength, smart kid, good work ethic, and all of those things. So I don't know that he's going to necessarily be a Pro Bowl caliber tackle year one but i think he could reach that potential pretty quickly how about you yeah you know i, I always go back to like the struggles that like rookies have right away offensive line wise but i think they picked him in part because he was one of the most pro ready guys out of you know there is that cluster of four tackles and he, he might have been the most pro ready of them and i mean they need someone to step up uh right away so i mean the pick obviously made sense in retrospect but we'll see how it plays out. We, we haven't had a chance to uh, talk to him again yet. And I don't know when we will, but you know, he, he's a guy that when we are allowed to watch practice, eventually uh, that we're all going to have our eye on, I think. Especially once the pads go on. I know it's going to be really limited. What is it? 10 to 12 practices in full pads. And yeah. of those, maybe you and I will each see five or six of those practices. It's certainly not going to be a traditional training camp in that sense. And Joe judge revealed on Wednesday during his zoom call that it's really not a traditional training camp in the sense of how teams have done business for years and years and years in that, you know, every training camp that I've covered since getting in this business in, in right around 2014 at NJ.com and a little bit of stuff beginning in 2011, Teams have sequestered in a hotel, at least for the first two or three weeks. The Giants have made that optional. Some guys and some veterans have opted into staying in the hotel, and other guys have opted for the option to stay at home, uh, which I think is fascinating when you juxtapose that against the New Orleans Saints basically buying a hotel for the next month and a half and sequestering the entire football organization at that hotel in, in an era where you look at the NHL and the NBA, no positive tests for COVID-19 in the last two weeks since they've really been in the bubble and up and running and baseball kind of having a herky-jerky start and stop nature of their season since they've restarted not being in a bubble. Um, curious your thoughts, Zach, on the Giants' decision to kind of put this in the players and the coaches' hands, whether they want to isolate during camp or go home and stay with their families. You know, Judge Joe Judge, uh, we talked to him uh, today, Wednesday. He had a really long answer about this question. I found it fascinating. I think he made a lot of great points in there. And what the main one to take away being you know, what the Saints are doing is interesting, but they're not, it's not like a full requirement. Their full team won't be at the hotel. So in reality, it's not actually a bubble. Uh, so calling it that is almost a misnomer because, you know, one person away from the team could could blow it all up. And that's kind of was his main point. And he's doing a really good job of driving that home when he talks to us. And I'm sure he's doing it when he goes into the facility at MetLife. The, these guys have to have the responsibility when they leave the building to not, you know, go to a restaurant, to not go to a bar, to not you know, do things that could put their teammates in harm's way and that could threaten the season. And, you know, th that's one thing that, you know, I, I respect Judge. You know, you know, there's the whole Belichick thing, you know, where Belichick coaches don't say what they think or they don't give any information away. But when 
Joe has been really like detailed and passionate about this topic about how it, you know, they don't have the right to go home and ruin it for everybody else. And that he sets up that a lot today. And I, I really respect that out of him. And, you know, if, if everybody, if all the coaches in the NFL, which I don't think they all are talking like that, uh, especially based on like how Jack Del Rio was talking into the athletic recently. Um, yeah, what a mess that well, was. The line that really little. jumped off the page to me today was when he said that, you know, it, it's I don't have the right to make a decision that will potentially bring something from outside the building into the building. So similar, similar to what you were talking about, not going to bars and restaurants, not going to indoor settings and big house parties with more than 10 or 15 people, which is probably too many people to begin with, but that's the the agreed upon protocols with the NFL and the NFLPA, but that the Giants and a lot of other teams feel comfortable with what they've set up and the protocols in their building. Uh, but, but it's the concern and the worry about how seriously these guys are going to take it away from the the building because let's be real here all it takes is one guy's wife to go to a hair salon and, and become infected come back and infect a player and you have to worry about the risk of an outbreak you have to worry about a, a player who sends his kid to a summer camp and the kid gets infected or once school starts up if school starts up in the fall kids going to school and then bringing the virus back home so i'm still a little bit surprised and a little bit skeptical by the nfl's decision not to put these guys in the bubble but you know so far so good we haven't seen a big spike in the last couple days of players you know testing positive a lot of guys have been added to the COVID-19 list around the league, but then quickly taken off in a couple of days, largely due to being exposed to somebody, not necessarily a positive test themselves. But uh, you're right, Zach. I think that Judge and the Giants have done a really nice job of hammering home the point of personal responsibility because that's going to be priority one, not just for the Giants, but every team and every player and every coach around the league this year. Yeah, I think you saw the NFL released like a bunch of punishments that teams can levy uh, based on guys who like go against protocol. And it's like the, a max suspension of four games and fines where they lose money. And I think that's the really smart move because if, if, you know, if all you need to do to get a player to second guess leaving his house for something he doesn't need to is, oh, I could lose some money if I go do this, then that'll help prevent a spread and all that stuff. Um, you know, there's just so, again, we talked about this last week. There's just so much you can't predict in this virus, you know, it doesn't bend to anybody's will. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. But, uh, you know, so far, so good. The Giants have not have had a receiver go on the COVID list, David Sills, and he came back off. They put a linebacker on the uh, jo- Josiah, I don't know how to say his last name, Taufea. Um Yep, that's it. Wow. <laughs> and he uh, two for two on these things. All right. Just say Tofea and Shane Simon is it's two weeks in a row. Yeah, no, we'll, right. have find, we'll have to find another, you know, uncomfortable yeah, name for you to try to pronounce next week. But yeah, you know, those guys have come on and off. Uh, there hasn't been any stories about the Giants having any other issues. And even around the league, you know, it doesn't seem like there's just been any like horror stories of guys who have tested positive and have dealt with it in a bad way. You know, Lane Johnson is probably the biggest name guy that's announced that he tests positive and, and, you know, the NFL has been lucky so far, but the bigger, you know, how, whatever happened at the beginning of training camp wasn't really ever the concern. I think it's more in a couple weeks what happens. Yeah, I'm going to be really fascinated to watch what happens once school begins. And, and certainly not just because my wife is a teacher and all of those things and works in a in a school environment, but more so uh, the fact that these, these players with kids are going to be sending their kids to school, presumably, and, and they're going to potentially be coming home each night. And, and the NFL, of course, 
course, you know, offered to give guys who test positive, who have family concerns, a hotel, even for the entire season, according to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network. It'll be interesting to see how many guys end up taking the league up on that offer. But that's where I think when you start having kids going to school and coming home, where you could see a risk of this thing spreading. Like you said, it's not necessarily whether teams can get, get off the ground in terms of training camp starting and getting these guys into hermetically sealed environments in the facility. It's what happens once you have the freedom of going home, coming back. And then once you start playing teams in, in other uniforms, when you're watching teams who are doing different protocols every week, can you prevent the spread? Hopefully they can, and hopefully this season goes off without a hitch. Yeah, just transition a little back to football. Uh, speaking of like the testing and all that stuff, Marcus Golden passed all his tests, and he signed with the Giants. He's back. Um, we expected this to happen. I think it became obvious as there was no market for him that he was going to be coming back. Uh, Joe Judge has seemed pretty excited about the idea of coaching him all offseason. And, you know, they really needed him. This pass rush group leaves a lot to be desired, even with him there. Uh, Lorenzo Carter and Shane Zimenez, they're relying on them for a lot. And, you know, they're, they have no, you know, we still need to see if they're capable of being the pass rush of the Giants need them to be. They signed Kyler Fackrell. Uh, who had one and a half sacks last year. He was really good the year before that with Patrick Graham, but, you know, he's just still a question mark. So having Marcus Golden back in the building, who also is a leader in the locker room, I, it, it's a really, really, like, good thing that they got him back in the building. Yeah, he was their best pass rusher a year ago, had 10 sacks, and you could just see how well-respected he was amongst that group. And it seems like the other young pass rushers really gravitated towards him. He's a high-motor player. He's not necessarily the guy who's going to get you the sacks based on skill set, but is that relentless high motor to get upfield and get after the quarterback. Uh, so certainly adding Marcus Golden back into that rotation, I, I think it's going to be really interesting because it creates a little bit of a trickle-down because I think that when you start to project your outside linebacker roles. I think you obviously at the top of the depth chart now have Golden and Fackrell. And then it becomes this competition between Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez for that third spot in the rotation. And I don't know about you, Zach, but I think that what I saw out of Zimenez last year, I think gives me a little more confidence that he's going to be the guy who's that third rusher. Um, but the fact that the Giants only have one guy who had double-digit sacks a year ago, one guy who's produced double-digit sacks at any other point in his career, and that was Fackrell two seasons ago, I think you're going to have to once again rely on a rotation rather than having that game-changing, dominant, Jadeveon Clowney type of rush. It's going to be a bunch of guys rotating in and out, keeping them fresh, and you know, hopefully when the Giants are dry, drawing up this defense, their thought is, you know, race to the quarterback and see what happens. Yeah, Joe Judge talked today about how they're going to they're going to they're not going to go away from being creative uh, in terms of the pass rush. And I think so Patrick Graham is going to have to get really creative because I don't think you can trust those guys. And I think that they're more talented, intri intriguing guys are on the back end at safety with, you know, guys like Drew Bill Preppers and uh, Xavier McKinney, who I wouldn't be surprised if they send them on blitzes every now and then. Those are guys that can line up all over the line of scrimmage. Uh, you have Julian Love who can play multiple spots. So I, I think a lot, a lot, they might have to find their pass rush in unique ways. And that defensive line is full, full of three guys who are better as run stoppers than um, – 
and and that's sort of built in Dave Gettleman's image, right? Because you know Dave Gettleman's tenants are run the ball, stop the run, and they brought back Leonard Williams on the franchise tag, sixteen point two million dollars. We've gone over what they could have done with that money otherwise, and whether or not it was a wise decision to make, and we'll see how that plays out when he gets on the field. And obviously, with a hamstring injury now, he might be delayed making his debut. But you look at Dexter Lawrence, primarily a run stuffer, but a guy who can give you a little bit of interior pass rush. You can line him up at defensive end and now you bring back golden you have dalvin tomlinson you have thackrell and you have zamenez and carter you know it's going to be really interesting to see what they do here but i think the giants are still primarily a stop the run first rather than rush the passer first type of defense yeah um i mean this this defense really uh, we've talked about this the defense has more question marks probably on on paper than uh than the offense does i mean there's a lot of talented guys here there's nobody that's really stepped up as like the the guy on a defense and we talked about this last week I, I i'm not sure who that will be yet i think the giants are paying leonard williams to be that guy i'm a little skeptical about his ability to do that uh but i mean speaking of him i guess we should touch on this real quick he did show up to camp and it, it turned out he, he had a sore hamstring that came on his physical so he's limited right now he can only do stuff yep. off to the side judge didn't really sound concerned when we talked to him today though he wouldn't really give much information about that um i mean i wouldn't be too worried about it yet if it's hamstring issues can be an issue for a while if they're bad but if it's still lingering a couple weeks from now then that's when to be worried but i mean what, what do you think about leonard williams heading into camp yeah, I think this is a make-or-break year for him on a lot of levels. If he goes out and he puts up a, a six-sack season and, and he you know, approaches triple-digit tackles, you know, moving between defensive tackle and defensive end, then obviously he's going to break the bank and have a big payday. But if he doesn't, if he just continues to be a disruptive player and an above-average run stopper, but he doesn't give you that pass rush element, I don't know, Zach. I think that he's a guy that could you know, head into free agency next year and, you know, the Giants might be able to get him on the cheap, which would be unlikely if they're going to develop guys like Dexter Lawrence and if they commit long term to Dalvin Tomlinson. But I think he's a guy that if he doesn't put up big production numbers this year, he might be just a rotational guy and someone who never quite lives up to that first round potential, even though he did have that one Pro Bowl berth. Yeah, I mean, they're Dave Gettleman's. Daniel Jones is the one that really is going to make or break uh, Dave Gettleman, but Leonard Williams is probably number two if you're picking specific players. Because <laughs> if Leonard Williams just does not live up to all the all the stuff he gave to him or for him, then then Dave Gettleman is going to be out of here probably. <laughs> Yeah, the third round pick, the $16.2 million, the rationale of bringing him in and trying him out in your system rather than waiting to free agency. It, it just, this is a make or break move both for Williams and to some degree, like you said, Gettleman, um, because the cap space is going to be limited next year, especially if the revenue doesn't increase back to the pre-pandemic levels. You're looking at a $175 million salary cap, about $21 million less than what the league had anticipated before coronavirus and you've still got to lock up Saquon Barkley you still have to potentially re-sign Jabril Peppers you still have to possibly ink Evan Ingram to a new deal Leonard Williams if he breaks out maybe you try to get him on the cheap before you know the deadline to roll over cap space at the end of this year Uh, but otherwise you're going to be paying through the nose and if he doesn't live up to expectations this is just going to be a move that's panned for the next couple of years because of everything we talked about last week with where you could have spread that money around and gotten more impactful players at bigger positions of need rather than on Leonard Williams. If he doesn't step up and become an elite player. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, Dribble Pepper is another guy. I mean, we talked about him last week uh, a little bit. He's a guy that I'm just very intrigued about this season because, you know, they obviously made him the centerpiece of that Beckham trade for the, that in the first-round pick. And he, he showed some flashes last year. He got hurt. I think he's in great shape right now. Uh, and I think if this defense is going to have you know, somebody who's making all the plays that they need, if you know, because Marcus Golden can be a solid pass rusher. He's not a star. He's not a Pro Bowl caliber guy. Um, I'm, I'm very curious to see how Peppers plays this season and how they use him, really. Yeah, I think that he's going to be in that hybrid linebacker strong safety role, and I think he's going to thrive in it. And, and a lot of that is contingent on Xavier McKinney really stepping up and, you know, showing as a rookie, as a second-round pick, that he can, you know, hit the ground running in his first NFL season. But, you know, one of the reasons the Giants loved him was his ability to play deep center field in coverage, his versatility to also drop into the nickel and, and be, you know, above average in pass coverage. But what Jabril Peppers excels at is being disruptive up near the line of scrimmage as a guy who can jump into the box, make tackles against the run, potentially, you know, rush the passer a little bit, be that physical force. And, and I think that if you have the ability to use him in that role, I think he might be the best overall player and the most dangerous player on this defense. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I, I'm very intrigued by Xavier McKinney, too. I think he has the personality to be, even become like a, a leader for this young defense pretty early on. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you look at the Giants the last couple of years, obviously their biggest weakness has been in the secondary, but you just look back to who they trotted out there at safety even last season. I mean, Curtis Riley started for this team, right? And now you have Jabril Peppers and McKinney, a first-round pick and a second-round pick. You have pedigreed prospect type of players there peppers with a little bit of a track record and then you look at cornerback it's going to be a completely different cornerback room with james bradbury who we've talked ad nauseum about being a great you know zone coverage type of corner probably an ideal fit for this defense you have darnay holmes or grant haley or mckinney or uh, chris williamson at at nickel cornerback and then at the other side it's wide open but you you've really remade this secondary over the last two off seasons and you know I will I'll hesitate to say that it's a strength because I still think the defensive line is the strength but if Dexter Lawrence takes a step forward if Leonard Williams elevates his game and starts to be as productive as his film has shown and like the Giants hope that he can be then if that front seven is disruptive you have the chance to have some playmakers back there on the back end yeah, I think that's the. I think that's clearly what they were going after: versatile guys who can make plays. I mean, you could say the second cornerback position is like the biggest question on the defense, probably. But you do you you got James Bradbury to at least shore up one side of the ball. Um, I, I would say almost the linebacker, like as a whole, I feel like the linebacker position has more question marks, probably. Um, if you just look at, you know, we don't. Blake Martinez is productive, certainly gets a lot of tackles, but doesn't make those big game-breaking plays. Um, Ryan Connolly coming off an injury. I don't think David Mayo should be your full-time starter. He's fine as a third guy. And then you, you know, all the edge rushers that we just brought up. So they, they need somebody out of that group to like emerge as a really good player if this defense is going to stop anybody. Yeah, and I think that you know you listen to them talk about versatility when it comes to McKinney and on the offensive side of the ball. We touched on Gates, and they love versatility there. The one guy who I think could really be an impact player at a couple different positions is is Julian Love. He's a guy that, you know, you drafted him to play cornerback, quickly realized he's probably better suited to play safety. 
He played safety at a high level last year when Peppers got hurt over the final five games. And ESPN listed him as one of the top 25 um, best prospects in the league under the age of 25, which I think still might be a little bit of a stretch given his limited track record. But he's a guy that can play multiple positions. Xavier McKinney is a guy that can play nickel cornerback or safety. He can play multiple positions. Darnay Holmes, I think he's going to get a shot at right cornerback and potentially even in the nickel. Uh, but Zach, you, you did a great job outlining why versatility is so important to this team and naming some guys who could play various positions on Wednesday. And I, I thought it was an interesting read. And I think that it's going to be an interesting theme to watch, not only through training camp, but the start of this season as this coaching staff tries to figure out what they have and where their personnel is best fit. Yeah. And this also kind of also ties back to like the whole coronavirus thing where you you might lose guys for a week or whatever, and you're gonna maybe you know shuffle a guy over instead of bringing up a guy that's not ready to start at a position. You know what I mean? So like, you know, if if they need to move Julian Love from nickel corner to safety because Xavier McKinney's out for a week or something like that, like that, that's versatility is gonna be really valuable on this team. And you know, some of the guys I listed, uh, you know, we talked about Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. They both play multiple spots on the D line. Um, in the secondary, at you know Xavier McKinney uh, is going to line up all over the place. Julian Love will play nickel and safety. Darnay Holmes will play outside and nickel. Cam Brown is an interesting guy. You know, you know more about him from Penn State. He can play on the inside or the outside. Then on offense, you got Nick Gates, uh, and that's and Cam Fleming is going to be the swing tackle. So you you have a lot of guys who are kind of are helping themselves quite a bit in terms of their chances of getting on the field by doing that. And Joe Judge has been talking about the need to be versatile since he was hired. And a lot of the guys they drafted can play multiple spots. A lot of the guys they signed. And I, I think you're going to see, especially on defense, Patrick Graham just getting creative with those kind of players. I think you're going to have to get creative, right? Because with the exception of Dexter Lawrence, who showed why he was a first-round pick right out of the shoot last year, really disruptive guy, um, with the exception of you know the tackles that Blake Martinez makes, but potentially being a liability in coverage, and James Bradbury being kind of your only true quote-unquote lockdown corner, I think you're going to have to get creative and figure out where these guys best fit because they're so versatile, but you also need to figure out where they're best suited to make plays on a defense that really has lacked playmakers the last couple of years. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, the defense is we, – we also don't really – I mean, Joe Judge has been kind of vague about what the defense is even going to look like. They keep saying how it's going to be multiple uh, and stuff like that. I am very interested to see how Patrick Graham does it when he has – this is the first time he's had full control of the defense because Joe Judge will be like the overseer, not calling plays. In Miami, Brian Flores was the defensive play caller. Um, so I, I am going to be very interested to see what kind of defensive coordinator Patrick Graham is going to be. Yeah, I think he's a guy who's going to emphasize zone coverage on the back end. And, and potentially when you're in a three-man front, they're going to just try to use three-man blitzes or three-man rushes, rather, instead of blitzing, which we'll see how that works out. Uh, I think that when you look at the percentages, the Giants actually blitzed at a higher percent last year than the Dolphins did, uh, even though James Betcher was so reluctant to send extra pressure because he was so worried about the inability of his cornerbacks and his secondary on the back end. But uh, like Joe Judge said today, and like the point you've hammered home all podcasts Zach they might have to get creative because they lack those proven commodities the guys that can get you double digit sacks year after year after year and when you look at today's NFL yes you win with dominant defensive lines as the Chiefs and the 49ers and to a degree the Eagles and the Cowboys have shown but those teams all have truly dominant pass rushers as well 
Yeah, I agree. So I, I think we talked a lot about defense, and I think we can go back to the offense real quick. You, you had a fun story uh, that you wrote. I forget if it came out today or yesterday, uh, where you looked at all the second-year players that the Giants drafted last year, and you kind of projected how their season's going to go. And, and you had Daniel Jones' stats being pretty good, and, and I think I agree with what you had. But do you, you want to talk about that, why you had what you had with them? Yeah, I think that, you know, you look at Jones and just from talking to people around the league and people who, you know, are in decision making positions for teams across the NFL. When I have a GM tell me that pretty soon Daniel Jones is going to be their best player, not named Saquon Barkley and a former GM like Jeff Diamond tell me that, you know, he loved what he saw from Jones and that, you know, his film gave you all the reason in the world to be excited. I think he takes that step forward this year, right? And we've talked all the time about, you know, the leaps that quarterbacks make in their second year. Uh, You know, you look at what he did a year ago. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility when you've added an improved offensive line in front of him, a potentially fully healthy Saquon Barkley, another year with Darius Slayton and the same wide receiving core, some familiarity with Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, and Evan Ingram. The numbers I threw out there were a 63% completion percentage, 3,950 yards, 29 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. Now, the interception total will be a slight uptick from a year ago, and I think that the arm strength is there, the accuracy is there, the quote-unquote clutch performances are there, Zach, but I've yet to see, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, I need to see Daniel Jones eliminate the turnovers, but if he put up, puts up those kind of yards and those kind of touchdowns, the Giants might be in a position to surprise some teams this year. Yeah, and I think the interceptions part, you know, I mean, you can look at Eli Manning's career. He threw a lot of interceptions throughout the career. Um, I think the bigger concern I've had with him is the fumbles more than the picks. I mean, he, had, he can't be as careless with the ball in general, but he can't have 18 fumbles, and he can't lose 11 of them this year. So if he has 14 no. picks but he cuts the fumbles you know, significantly, then I think you can be really okay with those numbers. And, I mean, there's no reason that he can't get you know up to, up to or close to 4,000 yards and up to or – more than 30 touchdowns when you look at the weapons he has assuming they stay healthy because those are three really talented receivers that would start anywhere a really talented tight end in engram a guy in caden smith that really like saquon barkley and Deion lewis who's more of a pass catcher than a running back at this point anyway so you have you know that's seven options right there and most of those guys will play every game and they'll play a decent amount of snaps and so the so jason garrett can get creative and daniel jones needs to put the ball in the money because those are guys that are going to get open Yeah, and I think that when you look at Darius Slayton, you know, I got some feedback about the projections I had for Slayton this year. I had him down for my prediction, 62 catches, 935 yards, and 10 touchdowns. People, you know, kind of clapped back at me and said, well, how many yards are you going to give Golden Tate? And how many catches and touchdowns for Sterling Shepard? You look back at at how Jason Garrett used his wide receivers. Yes, Michael Gallup was a nice secondary option for Dak Prescott, but they funneled their offense through two players. It was the tight end position, and it was a Amari Cooper. And the reason Cooper was featured so prominently after they traded for him was he's their deep threat. And I look at Darius Slayton, and I'm not saying that he's going to be Amari Cooper in year two, but he's their best option as a deep threat. And I think that Daniel Jones is at his best when he's stretching the field. And those two really built up a strong chemistry in training camp and kind of built on it as the year went along. I think Slayton could have a big year. I think I I, I don't know that he's going to reach a thousand yards, but based on his seven touchdown catches, a year ago i think 10 catches is right within the realm of possibility if he stays healthy 
Yeah, uh, I'm I'm very high on Darius Slayton, and there's multiple people I've talked to who think he could be a star. Um, I didn't really know much about him coming out of Auburn. If you look at his numbers at Auburn, he never even had a season like he did for the Giants last year. Uh, I mean, Jared Stidham was throwing the ball, and they had very bad offensive line. Um, but the, the impression I get on him is everybody thinks he can be a stud, uh, and I think he's going to be. And the, the interesting thing will be, like you know, the three those three guys, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and him, didn't really play that many games, or was all three of them on the field at the same time? Between injuries to Shepard, suspension for Tate, injuries to Tate, injuries to Slayton. I don't think any of them. I think I don't think they played one game with everybody. Barkley, Shepard, Tate, oh, wow. Jones so last year. It, it, so, it might have been maybe one or two at most, but for a long time there was a stat that the that Daniel Jones did not have his full supporting cast for a game, at least for a significant portion of last season. That's. I mean, that's a great point, especially when you add Ingram into the thing. Like if they if they have all of them on the field at the same time, like the the Giants have. Have top 10 to 15 range weapons in the NFL, I think. They, they all need to stay healthy, which is the biggest question mark of that entire group, really. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very curious to see, like, the target distribution because if you look at the numbers, you know, individually when, when, when they were healthy, like, these guys all were averaging a decent amount of targets between, like, 6 to 9 or something like that. And I think Shepard averaged the most uh, with Daniel Jones if you, like, put the numbers together. But I'm curious to see how that will look when they are all together. All right, Zach, let's go ahead and, and wrap this thing up. When we do get to practice in the next week or two, what is the one thing you're going to be watching the, the most intently when we're out there? You know, I, me personally, I do enjoy in training camp is charting the quarterback throws. We, it'll be harder to do that now. And I, I'm kind of excited just to see, you know, even how Daniel Jones looks at his receivers and tight ends in practice uh, in training camp to start out and get an idea of where his head's at. You know, you'll find out who he has the best chemistry with based on the offseason. You can kind of get a vibe for that in training camp. You know how much time he's spending with specific guys, how much he's looking for them, how much they're connecting. And, and that, that's kind of where my – it's an obvious answer, but that's kind of where my eye is at. Yeah, I'll certainly be keeping track of that as well. And certainly Daniel Jones holds all the cards for what this season is going to be for the Giants. But I, I'm, I'm going to be focused most intently on the right cornerback spot because obviously Bradbury has that job locked down on the left side as your number one corner. But what do they do at right cornerback, especially if DeAndre Baker isn't available or on the roster at that point? Is it Sam Beal and can he hold up on that side of the field? Is it Dornay Holmes getting an opportunity to play maybe a little bit out of position? Or is it one of these undrafted free agents who vaults up the depth chart? Because they really don't have a, a, a true right cornerback, true second outside cornerback other than James Bradbury. Yeah. I mean, quarterback, you know, we've talked about this. It's maybe the biggest question on the defense, who's going to start opposite Bradbury and if that player is good enough to start opposite him. So that that's going to be – if they're if they're getting – these receivers are going to give whoever that is really good tests in training camp, and you'll kind of get a good sense for, you know, who's going to be the guy. No doubt about it. So uh, we'll be back with you next week. Same time, same place. Again, if you love what you hear, we'd love if you would check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher. Give us a shout on Google Play. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's the Talk is Cheap podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter at Talk is Cheap NYG. He's Zach Blatt on Twitter. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Zach, this was a lot of fun. Already looking forward to next week. Yeah, me too, man.